it's Margot Tantow here. Welcome to Windowsill Chats, a podcast for creatives and the creatively curious. I am so glad you're here. I've spent decades working with artists and being one myself. I've spent time in the trenches figuring out the best way to get something made, how to put oneself out there, and how to get your work noticed and pull yourself up and face the next challenge. Windowsill Chats brings you creativity from a global perspective as I talk in depth to friends I've met along the way. I'm here to bring their stories to you as well as a few of my own and see if there's anything you can pull out for yourself. Maybe a laugh, something you can relate to, and definitely a little bit more community for your quiet corner. So grab a cup of tea or coffee, maybe your paint water, a glass of wine, and join me over in my sunny windowsill. lovely listener. I am so glad you're here at the windowsill. Thanks for joining me today. And if it's your first visit, well, that's awesome. Welcome. And if you're back again for more creative juice and passion, I am thrilled to have you. I have a great one for us today. I'm talking to the beautiful Monique Malcolm, who I was fortunate enough to meet at the Alt Summit conference in March. And I just knew that she was someone you all would be fascinated to know more about. Monique is a productivity expert, an author, a creative for sure, and a host of the Take Tiny Action podcast. She helps overwhelmed women take control of their lives one tiny action at a time. Her approach to coaching and personal development is holistic, taking into account the mental, emotional, and physical aspects of well-being. With her book, Don't Let Fear Have All the Fun, and one-on-one coaching, Monique helps clients overcome their fears and achieve their goals. Monique's larger mission is to help people see a greater possibility for their lives. So I just figured that was something that we needed to dig into for sure. I wanted to have Monique on sooner than later, so I personally haven't had a chance to read her book yet, Are You Letting Fear Have All the Fun? But I'll tell you what. It is on the way to me. I can't wait. A little bit about the book. Here's what the blurb says. If fear is stopping you from having or doing what you want most, quitting your job, starting a business, taking an epic trip, writing a book, applying for a scholarship, or even trying a new workout class, it's time to go for it. It's all about things like why being fearless isn't the goal, how to build courage in small doses, what failure really means, and why it's probably not what you think, exactly how to build a support system filled with people thrilled to cheer you on, and how to stop letting fear have all the fun. You don't have to be fearless to go after what you want. You don't need more money or clout to make big moves in your life. You just need to learn how to quiet the booming voices, aka the chorus of fear, and take the next small step. So that is really what we're about over here in the windowsill, just the confidence to go after what you're wanting to, what you're dreaming about, and the kind of knowing that you're not alone in it. So I just thought this would be the perfect place to remind you about that and the perfect person to do it. To find out more about Monique, go to taketinyaction.com. On Instagram, the same, taketinyaction, or Monique E. Malcolm, M-O-N-I-Q-U-E, E, 
M-A-L-C-O-L-M and go find out more about this lovely, shiny, wonderful, positive person. Without further adieu, here is the lovely Monique. Thanks so much for being here this morning, Monique. I'm excited to be here. You're one of those people we both met at Alt Summit just a few weeks ago, but you're one of those people before I met you that I was, you know, across a crowded room. It's like, who's that? I want to know her. <laughs> is it the hair? It's well, it was everything. The presence. It was everything. The hair is <laughs> extra good though. Monique has this fantastic head of hair, but the tips of it are pink. And the background has pink and red going on, which is a combination that I especially like and some fabulous patterns. So all you artists would appreciate it. So Monique, you have a lot going on. You've you've done a lot of things. I think so much of what you what is a passion for you will really speak to this creative audience and what they are caring about. Just your whole um, approach to personal development and productivity, as well as fear and all all the small steps and the big steps that we we take to get there. And I, I think so many of us are in different places with all of that at every moment of our lives. And I'd just love to get your 72 cents and how you entered into that and why it's a passion. Well, listen, I hope you guys are ready because I have a lot of thoughts, I'm a so lot ready. of stories. So let's do it. So it is a winding road, but I think if you're a creative or an artist, as you do this for a while, you realize that the road just winds and winds and winds. Yeah. So, I mean, if we're going back to the beginning, I got started with a t-shirt line. I just oh. saw a screen printing machine one day in the craft store, like a personal at-home screen printer. And my husband saw it and he was like, you should get that. And I was Love like, that. why? He was like, because you can make t-shirts. And at the time I just thought, well, that's crazy. I've never designed a t-shirt. I don't know anything about design. But after thinking about it for a few days, I went back and bought the screen printing machine. And I love from that there, he was encouraged. He saw it. Be, I mean, he saw the possibility before you did. He did. He did. He really was the catalyst to a lot of this. And I got that screen printing machine at the time, I didn't know anything about design. I had never used the design software, so I don't even know why I thought I could design T-shirts, but I did, and I started <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I started learning um, Photoshop, which is not actually the proper design software, but at the time, I just jumped into that, and then I started learning other things. And before you knew it, I was full-on screen printing. I had a, a T-shirt line, and it did really well. And as I learned more about that, I decided. I want to start teaching things to people. So um, Alt Summit is actually the very first place that I actually spoke. The first year I pitched, they didn't pick up my pitch, but the second year they did. Then I came and I was teaching about WordPress and building websites. And um, after kind of like getting into the speaking thing, I just was like, oh, I really want to do more speaking, more teaching. And so I kind of transitioned into doing more of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and around this time, I started getting obsessed with goal setting. Mm. And then I got to this point where I was like, why are people not achieving their goals? And from that, I end up producing the Visionary Journal, which is the planner system that I created. Mm -hmm. Again, knowing nothing about designing books. So I actually built all of the pages for that planner. It's a 200-page planner wow. in Adobe Illustrator making each individual page and then exporting it as a PDF and then building this PDF into a planner document. Wow! And I did that for a few years until I was teaching a workshop for someone about how do you bring an idea to life. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned this and a graphic designer was like, you know, 
if you use InDesign, because I mentioned that in the class, I didn't know how to use InDesign. She's like, if you use InDesign, you can create master pages and then rebuild your file. And then you can lay it out that way. It'll be so much easier. And I was like, okay, bet. I'm going to do it. So I did that. And I had the planner. I still have the planner. And so it's just been kind of like this winding path of each year, kind of getting closer to what I feel like I'm best at doing. Mm -hmm. But it really did start at that t-shirt line and just me continuously wondering, can I do this thing? Can I make a planner? Can I speak? Um, The most recent thing is, can I write a book? Which Mm -hmm. I did. So it's, that's kind of my backstory. It's really just this continuous path of, can I do this? Can what I were do you this? doing before the t-shirt line? Before I did the t-shirt line, I was a teacher. I oh. taught sixth and seventh grade science. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. I love that. <laughs> I I want to venture a guess that being a science teacher helped you, especially of sixth and seventh grade, just like, no, let's do this. Let's figure it out. Let's try it. I, I feel like if I was speaking and telling somebody how to do a journal page that pages and they told me if you use InDesign that I might have a crumble moment of like, oh my gosh, how did I not know that? But you took it and were like, okay, this is fantastic. I can do this. Let's figure it out. And and that seems to be your your the attitude you wake up with, which is such a good one and such an important thing to remember. Yeah. I I mean for me, I love learning. I love the challenge of seeing something and thinking like, I wonder if I can create that. And if I can get a visual in my mind, yes. I can figure out how to map it out and how to make it work, even if I don't know the exact correct path. Because I think we get really caught in, there's only one right way to do this. Right. So there will be only one right, right way, right software to build a planner. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know how to do that. So I used the software that I did know how to do. Right. And I figured out how to make it work. And that's really at the core of a lot of these little progressions. I kind of right. do the thing until I figure out how to do it properly. And then mm-hmm. I improve it. Well, and isn't that a great gift for yourself too? Because I, I'm the same. When I can see it, when I can see it in my mind, I know what's going to happen. It clicks in. It. I might not know how I'm going to get there, but that is the best feeling. And and that that's not the case for everything. But for myself, when I can see it, it's like, oh, watch out, it's happening. You know, which is the best, the best feeling. But like you said, the learning part is really really where the juice is. And I love that you also mentioned what's your way of doing it, right? What's, what's the way you're going to figure out doesn't have to look like everybody else's. And I, I try to remind this audience that, you know, through posts, through words, whatever, it's really going to look like your path and your path only and, and let that own that and let that be okay. You know, that's, I wish more people would lean into this idea that you can get the same outcome in multiple ways, but we're so conditioned and trained that there's just one possible outcome and one possible way to do this. And that's just not true. And especially for creatives, artists, and people who are really just kind of creating from their core, there's so many ways that you can create. There's not just one, only one correct way or only one correct way to do it. And I really wish that more of us would feel confident that even though we're not doing it the way that most people say we should do, we're still doing it. We're still getting a result and we should lean into that. I love that. And and your whole 
I just love the words tiny actions, which which is such a part of you. And this it, to me, that must speak to productivity and, and reminding ourselves that you know, what does that structure look like? What does it look like for you? It's going to be different than me. And how do we start to how do we start to even set that up? How do we start to think about it? Oh, I have a lot of thoughts on that, too. So it, it really does kind of when I think about taking tiny action, it filters into so many different things. It's not even just for productivity. It's not even just for creativity. I mean, every decision that you make in your life is yeah, built on a series of tiny actions, right? For sure. So you you get up in the morning and you go and you brush your teeth. And then like, that's a, a tiny step towards like dental health. And like, you do all these little tiny steps every single day. Every decision that you make is a tiny action that's like moving the path and moving things forward. So for me, when I think about tiny actions and like how I structure that in my life, I really try to lean into what is going to be easiest for me to do, because mm-hmm. there are just some things that are not easy for me to do. There are things that are challenging. And for those things that are ta- challenging, how can I set myself up for success? How do I make this be an easy or a quick win? How do I work with my brain? Because I, I have ADHD and there's a lot of chaos in this brain. <laughs> Mm-hmm, all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I have to be very conscious about how do we make this sustainable? Yeah. Um, trying to do things in big leaps and bounds, that doesn't always work. Sometimes it does, but it's not sustainable for a long period of time. For me, that makes me feel burnt out. So there's a lot of, I think, self-awareness and constantly assessing, is this the best decision for me? Is this the right way for me to do it? Uh, do I want to do this thing? Or do I feel like, no, this is not really the thing for me? Um, once you get to that place and you realize that you don't have to rush to do everything, mm. the the feelings of tiny action feels better because mm. I, I think that we really champion this idea that we have to do everything fast. There's so mm. much like in the media, the, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world, we have to be, it's only counts if you're young and you become a billionaire and you make this create this amazing thing. But that's not the case for the majority of people. Like that's the exception, not the rule. So I think if we start to think and accept that tiny action still makes progress, baby steps turn into adult steps. You feel better making that slow, steady progress instead of feeling like this only counts if I can like leap off the mountain and do it. I love that so much. I really, really relate to that. I think that often we see the success of others in in whatever way we are, right? Kids, life, art, dieting, what you know, like writing a book, whatever that thing is. And and we tend to, I was talking to the about this to a friend last night. You know, I sports is tricky for me because I want to, I don't want to look like I don't know what I'm doing on a, on something at the tennis court, let's just say. Because when I was young, junior high i took tennis lessons and i we played with um, another family that was really those kids had a tennis court and they played all the time it's like if you have a pool table and you're you are good at it and i was not good at it and i decided right then in junior high that i was never going to be good at it and and i didn't let myself and we were just talking about this last night the funny things that we do that are so the wrong story we tell ourselves and i i feel like in there's so many people that are creative or coming back to their creativity in some way and they're because of social media the comparison is just 
rife. You know, it's everywhere you want to see it. But if you remind yourself that those tiny steps are what everybody has to take, that person that you're comparing yourself to didn't pick up a pencil and start to draw that way. They took tiny actions too. So you just might be at a different point in your journey and those tiny actions own them for yourself, you know? Yeah. And doesn't that feel more manageable? Like the, I think for me at the, the end of the day, the whole idea of tiny actions makes me feel less overwhelmed about what it is that I'm trying to do. If I have this big vision of this thing that I'm trying to build and taking action from that big vision, that feels very overwhelming. That feels very scary. There's a lot of resistance there because your brain is like, but you want to build a multi-million dollar art business? That's crazy. You've never even done that. So there's there's a lot of resistance versus if my brain says, okay, you want to buy a domain name? Well, that mm. feels easy. I can mm-hmm. do that. You want to write a list of next steps? That doesn't feel too bad. I can do that. So there's like a shift there that you have to make in your mind about um, looking at the big picture versus like zooming in to what are the tiny steps that get to the big picture. And so what kind of cr- strategy do you create with those tiny, using those tiny actions? How do you kind of um, organize them? So I love, I like to write things down. I, I say I'm a paper planner living in a digital world. So I have both like a digital system and an analog wow. system. But everything starts with brain dumping. I love to buy the giant post-its. They have like an 11 by 11 giant post-it. I love buying those and getting pens and just dumping all the ideas out on paper. Whatever I have in my mind, I put it on paper. Mm -hmm. Because for me, planning is not um, in like chronological order. There's, I have this idea and this idea and this Mm -hmm. idea. And trying to just write a list out, my brain is resistant to that because it's like, yeah, but this doesn't fit in this column and I want to put it in the right place. So when I do like mind maps, I can make little columns and and little uh, doodles for the different areas. And once I get things out on paper, I feel like I can look at it and then I process it. So um, for me, I, I tell people like you have this vision, you set goals for the vision, but then you create projects to achieve the goal. Mm. A lot of times we think about like a goal that has a long timeline. It's just one giant goal. But no, mm-hmm. within that goal, there's a bunch of tiny projects. So it could be like for writing a book, there's a bunch of projects and writing a book. You need an outline. You need to figure out a cover. You need to write each individual chapters. All of those are little projects. So once I have this mind map, I start picking out where are the projects in this and then taking those projects and then those become the list of steps. So something like thinking about cover. Okay, so maybe I need to do some research and see what do other covers in this genre look like. Maybe I'm putting together a mood board on Pinterest. Maybe I'm thinking about what kind of fonts would be great on this cover. What's the color scheme? Those things become little projects. And then you can break those down into smaller steps, stuff that you can do today, stuff you can do next week, stuff you can do a month from now. And that feels less overwhelming than just thinking, oh man, I got to design this cover. What even goes on the cover? Where do you even start with that? That kind of spirals out versus just saying, okay, so today we're we're thinking about fonts. Let's put together a mood board. Let's see what kind of fonts people are using. Let's let's look on creative market and see if we see any fonts that really stick out to us and, and put that in a board. That feels better to me. Yeah. And then those things are 
you're doing things that are fun and interesting and feeding you and feeding your creative process. And, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, there you have a lot of potential for your next steps. Mm-hmm. Do you a kind of approach your week or your day in any sort of measured way in any sort of steps? Like, do you plan for how you're going to figure out where you're going to get done? Yes. Uh, I try to plan like what's going to happen today, the night before. So that way, when I come into the office, I'm not I'm not trying to figure out what needs to get done today. So a thing that I learned, I, I got diagnosed with ADHD two years ago. And um, it's the first time that I've taken medication for it. And I realized very early on, while the medication is great at helping you sustain focus, it's not great at helping you prioritize what needs to get done. So if I if I take my medication and I don't have a plan, I feel like I just spend the day ping-ponging between things mm-hmm. and it, nothing gets done. But if mm-hmm. I come into my office, I know where I need to start. I take the medication. It's easier to get in and, and get things done. So my routine when I come into my office is, I reset the office as if nobody was in here the day, the day before. So at the end of the day, I might lay on the couch and have the blankets and the pillows everywhere. I come in, I redo the pillows, I fold the blanket, I, I take everything off of my desk. I, I give myself a clean slate because the visual clutter mm. bothers me and I can't focus. So that's like first thing I do every single morning when I come in here. I reset it. We clean this, we reset the stage. And then from there, I just, I have, my planner I use and, and my digital system, but normally I just write on a post-it, like here are the top three things that I need to do today. And if there's more stuff that I need to gather or plan, that's probably in the digital system somewhere. Like for example, like podcasting, there are mm-hmm. templates and stuff that I have that I, I can access very fairly quickly, mm-hmm. but I, I just go from there. Um, I rotate between using a digital system really consistent to doing paper, just kind of depending on where I feel like I'm at. Sometimes when I feel like I'm spinning my wheels too much, I try to back away from the digital system because there's too many options and things to tinker and get distracted around. Yeah. When I can get uh, my whiteboard on my closet door and some markers and some post-its and just map out things there and, and move things through, uh, that feels really good for me. But it really just starts with having a plan before I decide to sit down to work. I love that. And I, and I'm, I think there's, I don't know, I'm one of those people that when I think about that, it's that structure, it's that 11 11 by 11 post-it note or cleaning up that area where you are or whatever it is. And then of course I want, I'm thinking, well, what does Monique's planner look like? Would that help me be more organized just because I'd want to do it because of how she figured out, you know, were you always, did you always think this way or was there something that kind of just made you stop and say, no, I have to arrange I have to take these tiny actions. You know, I, I try to think about that and I'm not sure. I think to a certain degree, I've been wired this way for a while because uh, I'm the oldest child and the daughter. And I just, you know, there was a lot of um, messaging as a child from my my dad specifically about you need to be responsible and <laughs> you need to go to like get good grades so you can go to college and all of these things. So I tried to meet those standards, his standards mm-hmm. yeah. for many years. So I think there's there's a lot of that at play. But then as I've gotten older and especially with like doing creative work and coaching and things online, there there was a need for me to make things like more efficient. 
because I do tend to feel overwhelmed and anxious when there's too many tabs open in my brain and I can't focus and I can't. And I think this was me trying to create structure around the ADHD without knowing that was a thing. Because I've told people for years, like, you think that people are like, oh, you're so organized. You have a place for everything. And I'm like, because I can't focus. I can't, like, I spiral out if things are not put away and if they're, I just can't do anything. So I think there was like some awareness around something's off, but I don't know what it is. Uh, And I didn't have language to describe it until I spoke with the professional. But I think there, a lot of that um, was already there. And then learning what it was and and doing some research about like how do brains that are neurodiverse work and figuring out like, oh, so you're already doing some of this stuff Mm -hmm. and leaning more into that. So the writing things by hand, studies show that when you write things down, you remember them better. It's a lot harder for me to try to brainstorm and brainstorm directly into the computer. It can take me hours because there's so many bells and whistles and notifications that I can't focus versus if I say, let me grab a post-it note and write down a few ideas really quickly while they're here. It's much faster. I know some people have a different experience. They they can type really fast and doing it on the computer feels good. So I don't have a definitive answer. I think it's a little bit of both. It's some some of it was hardwiring and some of it is just figuring out this really works for me and leaning into that. I think that's really helpful though to hear you say that because I'm sure there's many people listening that are like, yes, I I have those same thoughts and I'm I figure it out as I go. I I think this the whole women with ADHD being diagnosed kind of later in their life right now is such a fascinating, fascinating time that we're in. It it's, it's just been such an aha for so many people and such a validating thing also where there's a lot of women. I know friends, I know people, not just women that are finally saying, being able to say, Oh my gosh, I can, figure this out. There's a title I can, or even if not diagnosed, there's so much more information to read now that, that anyone could say, this is going to be helpful for me. This is going to help me manage my, my crazy time or whatever it is. And it's just really nice to hear kind of how you've taken your life and, and made these choices and, and, and said to yourself, I'm going to learn how to do that thing or heard a suggestion and just kept going. Cause I, think we just have to keep giving ourselves the permission to be lifelong learners and and know that we're passionate about it and and realize that there's nothing wrong with it. I feel like now that I'm older, if I went and tried to take those tennis lessons again, I'd be like, laugh it off, you know, like, well, obviously I don't have a tennis court and I'm just going to have to figure this out a different way. I'm not as coordinated. I whatever. But if it's something I want to learn to do, I'm going to, I'm going to try, you know, and that's, I think that comes with, with age and just doing it. So I do want to hear, I know you made some changes because you've, you had your podcast, but then some other things came up for you and you've dived into a beautiful new book. Tell us about kind of what shifted and what came next for you. Yeah. So Pimp Your Brilliance um, podcast I started in 2017 that I loved and I still very much love that name. But the the idea was was really wrapped into creative online businesses. Like how do we 
build a business that feels good, that's sustainable, that leverages our knowledge? Like, how do we monetize that? And, and I you love were, that you were going on that from what you'd done, right? Your creative yes. businesses. Yes. And, and some of the coaching work that I've done. So I loved that podcast for a while. But when I decided to start writing the book, I knew I don't multitask well. It's a lot easier for me to focus on one big project at a time. I used to resist this and think like, no, I can do several projects at a time. That is a lie. I can't do several projects at a time. I can only do one really well. So I have to like give all my energy and effort into that and then finish it. And then I could pick up something else. So I, I knew this about myself and I resisted that going into the book writing, but my husband kept saying, no, just write the book. Like, don't worry about anything else. Just write the book. So I, I end up shutting down a lot of things. My membership, I didn't do very many podcast episodes during that writing period, but I just knew that I wanted to write this book about fear that would be approachable and fun and something that could be insightful without beating people down and saying like, you're a punk because you're afraid to right. post your Instagram stories. So in, in the writing process and interviewing people and having all these conversations about fear, also being in the midst of some big life transitions. So in the midst of writing the book, my son graduated from high school. It's a big deal because yeah. we only have one son. And so my husband and I are like approaching empty nest. He's yeah. still at home, but that's happening. Um, also getting my finances under control during the book writing process. We also saved like the final amount of money to pay off student loans. And this had been not just student loans, but just credit card debt and all of these things that we had finally learned to budget and, and, and was getting deal. like, it's a big deal. And, it, and it those two makes, things together, like, the, cause that sets you off on your next steps. I'm, I'm three years away from from high school graduation and I'm starting to really realize like, oh my gosh, oh my goodness, what, what, what next? What next? So, you know, facing that we're going to be empty nesters, finally moving out of this like financial survival mode into something that feels better and calmer and stable. I came out the other side of the book, just realizing I don't only want to talk to people about business, creative business. Mm. I love talking about business and I love thinking about business strategy and how do we make big ideas. But there just was some more there about what is standing in the way of so many people between them and like living the life that they really want to live. Mm. And fear is a lot of it. Fear and confidence, like you do everything at the level of your confidence. You yeah. invest at the level of your confidence. You go for jobs at the level of your confidence. You pursue relationships at the level of your confidence. And there's a lot of fear in that. So at the end of the book, I just thought, I think I'm going to pivot. And I felt this coming for a while uh, because early on in the book process, I thought going into the the launch of the book, I'm going to rebrand just to my name. So it's not going to be Pimp Your Brilliance. It'll be Monique Malcolm. That's what I'll make everything. But I had already been talking about tiny actions and I was like, oh, okay, so we're going to make the newsletter be like tiny action takers or take tiny action with Monique. And a few days after I made all those domain changes, I woke up at 3 a.m. And with the idea, you should just take change everything to take tiny action. Huh. And I was like, there's no way that domain is possibly available because huh. it's so simple. Like somebody has to have had that okay. domain already purchased. And my brain was like, no, you need to get up and go look. And th this happens a lot at 3 a.m. I get really frustrated, like brain, why can't you hold on to this till 6.30 when we wake up? Why are you telling me now? Like, I'm not ready to get up. 
but it would not leave me. So I went and looked. Take Tiny Action was available. Tiny Amazing. Action Takers was available. Like all these variations of Take Tiny Action. And I bought them all. <laughs> and then when I got back in the bed to go to sleep and I told a friend like two days later, I know I just changed all of this branding, but I think I'm going to make it be Take Tiny Action. And she was like, yeah, do it. She was like, it- that's so simple. It's so clever. It's easy for you to say. It's easy to spell. Like people will know it. Do it. And it makes so it makes sense, but it's also I'm so drawn to those words because it feels like, oh, that feels doable with before I even know what it means, you know, but it's got to be something that I'm going to be interested in. It just it's permission. It feels like permission. You know, did you know that the book was going to be on fear when you started thinking about it? Yes, I did, Uh, because it. It is like the next step of a book that I previously wrote. So I had, it all started with a a 5,000 word manifesto that I called the fear guide that I turned into a tiny book and people really liked it. Um, I sold it for a while. People really liked it. I sent it around to a few people and somebody asked me to do a presentation on it to a group of women. And uh, that's the first time that I ever did a presentation where people were crying. People were very emotional in there. And at the end of it, I remember thinking, like, I have to say something, something profound that's going to, like, they can take with them away from this. And I just blurted out, don't let fear have all the fun. Uh, And somebody in the front row gasped. Oh, (laughs) so I wrote, I scribbled it in my notes and I I just kind of sat with that. So I knew after that presentation, I was going to write a book. It was going to be about fear. It was going to be called Don't Let Fear Have All the Fun. Mm -hmm. But that's that's where that came from. Well, and. And then it all started making sense. It all fell into place with where things are now. And I think your first podcast and the title of that was perfectly timed for what it was. And this is too. It just feels like it It just feels like it has a lot of legs, a lot of longevity to it. I, I'm really... I'm really glad you're bringing this to to the world because it feels so necessary. And I think, you know, you talk a lot about the um, the relationship between fear and inaction, which kind of goes along with tiny, tiny steps and tiny, you know, tiny actions. Um, but fear is fear's a big thing to talk about. Fear's kind of the elephant in the room. What what? Like, how did you decide to own that? I, I really love that. I really have a lot of, um, I just want to acknowledge, I think that's amazing. And and I'm so glad you are because it makes it so you can talk about it. Yeah. You know, I told somebody while I was writing the book, on the other side of this, I was worried that I'm going to be branded as this fear expert. And that mm-hmm. wasn't my intention. And I don't, know if I'm ready to take on that role as this expert Mm -hmm. in fear, because I'm still very much afraid. And I talk about that throughout the entire book about I'm not fearless, but she was like, yeah, but I also think that's a part of like the part of being an authority on fear is that you get to say, like you get to decide what parts of fear you own as this expert or authority. So you can be the person that says like, you don't have to be fearless, but still go do the thing. And that's still valid and there's expertise in that. And so I'm starting to like sit with like, okay, so you are this expert on fear. You're going to be the authority. You're going to tell people and it's going to be fine. But a lot of it just came from, I want people to feel seen. I mean, there there have been things that have happened in my life that 
at the time, I just thought it's just me. Like, I'm the only person experiencing this. I'm the only person feeling like this. But when I started having these conversations and opening up about fear, I realized uh, it's the same thing over and over again. Everybody, the fear might manifest differently. You might have different situations, but thematically, it's all the same. Mm -hmm. And we're all dealing with the same fears, just at different levels and and different um, variations or like different, some people's fears are like stronger about certain things and, and not other things. But I think it made me feel better about writing the book and accepting that you're going to be this default authority on fear if I was just honest with the fact that I'm still afraid. There's still things that I know I'm doing in my life, even with this book. I'm not, my quiet fear the entire time that I was writing the book, that I was going to get to the part where I launched the book and I'm supposed to market it and do all of these things. And I was going to drop the ball and I wasn't going to market it well. And I was going to just ruin it. And it wasn't going to get the reach that it was supposed to. And it's going to be all my fault. And I'm still not doing all of the things that I'm supposed to be doing to market this book. And I have just accepted that it's going to be a slow burn. And it's going to be a lot of taking tiny action to do the things that I'm supposed to do. And I'm okay with that. That Mm. that can be fine. And I had a friend put together a book club and I came as the special guest about the book. And somebody asked me, like, what is your current fear? And I told them, that's it. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, Interesting. according to like publishers and stuff, as much as I should be doing to market the book. And I'm I'm quietly afraid that I'm ruining this. And But I'm honest about that. And I think that uh, when you can own the things that you know um, cause you shame and guilt and fear, and you can just accept that it's happening, there's a lot less fear and shame around that. Because I don't feel embarrassed. Like, I've already told you the bad thing. You know the bad thing. I'm supposed to be doing all of this stuff for the book. I'm not doing it. Right. Oh, my gosh. I've written down a couple things. (laughs) Own the things that cause you fear. I I think that's just such a basic thing that we... We swirl in, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, what if I, what if this happens and what if that happens and just own the fact that it's causing you to second guess yourself or to spin out or whatever it is. And, and I, I think there's something about just, I remember Monique and I were sitting near each other at a table at, at the Alt Summit conference where we were. And, and you mentioned that you had written this book on fear. And I just thought, what? Like, I need to know more about that because that's something that every single person can relate to. And I think as you were talking about, oh my gosh, am I going to be this expert? I have a friend who wrote a, a book on grief and all of a sudden she was, you know, the expert on grief. And that, that is also a hard thing to talk about. But fear, it, it's fear is something that you it, it's interesting, like, like what you said about being the expert, I can see how that would be a little challenging, but it's also perfect because it, it plays right into it. And it's it's a little grief is one thing to be an expert on because hopefully we don't want to be that, but we kind of do want to conquer fear. you know, we do we do want to say, oh my gosh, this is so helpful to me and and that combined with being able to listen to your thoughts on your podcast and read this book and and understand that you're a person that is a dive in and figure it out it's just it makes me want to makes me want to know as much as i can so i can so i can learn myself and take those steps yeah, yeah there's 
I'm the ownership piece. I mean, that that's a lot of uh, what Brene Brown talks about and like shame and stuff. And you don't feel so shameful when you just own that, you know, you made this mistake or you're not doing this thing right. But I've told you, because I mean, a lot of that shame and fear is around, are people going to find me out? That that was like the the fear around having to be this fear expert. Are people going to find me out that I'm not fearless? I'm still afraid of so many things. I probably could be doing so many other things if I had less fear. But by just saying, I know I'm afraid of this and it's fine. Mm. It, we can keep moving forward. There's other things that I have done that were scary that I've conquered. So I know that I'm capable and I'm just going to keep taking those tiny steps towards doing those things. I don't feel afraid. Mm-hmm. It's, it doesn't feel as bad. I love that. I have a question that's kind of bubbled up for me as we as we're talking, and I don't know if it's a if it's a direct answerable question, but I think so many people have been doing something or try something like the t-shirts that then moved maybe into the journal or or they're they've had a job, but they want to be more creative in their life, or they'd like to get their artwork out, but they're not quite sure. And and I like to think that there's a lot of ways for us to make money. There's a lot of things we know. And so how, I know for me personally, it's, it. people you say, oh, you have to have that elevator speech. You have to know what you're good at and be able to tell people. But I think for a creative brain or a, somebody that wants to keep learning, that's ever shifting. I just love that you've embraced these things that are speaking to you at the time. The journaling, the making that, the shifting and making it a slightly different thing, the, the moving your podcasts from one thing to the next because of what you're experiencing in your life. Do you have any tips or suggestions or helpful thoughts for people who are good at something, do something every day, but aren't really even noticing that they can take that on as something to talk about? Energy. I follow Mm -hmm. the energy of ideas. When I get an idea, I, this is the ADHD brain in me. And so Mm -hmm. it's something that I'm trying to manage better. Uh, But it's, it's this idea that I get an idea almost obsessively sometimes. That's that hyper-focus that's part of ADHD. Mm-hmm. It's a challenge. My brain loves that challenge. It wants to do the thing. I follow that energy until I get to the end of it. Mm-hmm. And then when I get to the end of it, if I'm done, I'm done. Um, but that's hard. That's hard doing the work, like working online because people want you to niche down. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's we like categories. We like labels. Those, those things make us feel safe. When we can like label something a certain way, we feel safe because we know what it is. It's this thing. It's that thing. It's harder when you can't be labeled. Uh, so I, I embraced the idea of being a multi-passionate creator some years ago, and it's all built on following the energy. Another part of this is I don't get caught up in sunk cost fallacy. So mm-hmm. if you don't know what that is, sunk cost fallacy is this idea that um, once you've invested like time, money, energy into something, you have to keep going because you don't want the loss of that investment that you put into it. So you'll be like, I got this degree. I got to go be this thing because I spent all this money and this time getting it. But that is, it's a fallacy. That's why it's called mm-hmm. sunk cost fallacy because you're making decisions to negate 
a negative outcome that you experienced in the past or like to negate that loss from the past. And you completely ignore the fact that you should be making decisions that are going to get you a better outcome in the future. So when I get to the end of energy around a project, sometimes I'm just like, well, I'm done with that. And that's that. that. Sometimes I can figure out how to integrate it into other things. The beautiful thing about doing all of these things that I've done over the years This is the first year where I don't feel like I'm trying to build a whole bunch of separate businesses. So it's like a podcast business and a planner business and a coaching business. Like I felt like I had all these pieces and I'm juggling all these balls and trying to get all these businesses to work. And they didn't because I'm one person trying to fuel all of these businesses. But now I'm starting to recognize the through line through all of these things. And that through line is I like bringing ideas to life. I like talking to people about their goals and their dreams and ideas. And how do we get from we haven't done anything to we brought it to life and we have a thing. So that's the through line through all that work. But you have to give yourself permission to try other things, to follow the energy, kind of follow the passion behind whatever it is that's coming to you in that moment and embracing that fully. And getting to the end of it and deciding, do you still feel really passionate about this? Or did the energy run out and are you done with it? I love that so much. It's permission. It's listening to yourself and giving yourself permission. I I, I couldn't agree more. And it's so important to, to let yourself, I think. And I love, I, there's such a through line now. I mean, it feels like everything is linking together for you. It the podcast and your brain's telling you at three in the morning, you like, you know, inside. And it's like, you're not paying attention to me during the day. So I'm going to wake you up at three in the morning and tell you, <laughs> yes, this is right. Because now the planner can support the tiny action steps. The book can support the fact that that might be scary and listening to you and your guests and your thoughts can just underline the whole thing. And it just, and what's the t-shirt going to say, you know, for, for the Tiny whole action taker. <laughs> I love it. Oh my goodness. I, and it's just an example too, that we don't always know where it's all going to lead, but if you're following your own energy, it comes from yourself and, and the picture is there. The picture is, is it just shows itself. I love that. I just told you all these things. And in this conversation and you see it, you see yeah. all the pieces Last year, if I probably would have told you this, it would have seemed chaotic. Ah, uh, well, it doesn't. It seems really exciting. It it makes me feel like it, it gives me hope for for just that idea process. I also want to, you know, have your planner, read the book as soon as possible, you know, all those things. And it I just your energy too, I must say, just meeting you, you have a quiet energy. And I just thought, okay she's thinking about things that I'm very interested in and that seem very, you know, human steps. And that's, that's a lot of what I, I like to talk about here. And I hear a lot from listeners is, oh my gosh, I heard you talking about me. And I felt so by myself in that I'm in my studio or I'm taking a walk or I'm in my head or whatever, all feeling like nobody else must be feeling that way. And oh my goodness somebody else is or many somebody else's. So I love that you're you're putting this work out into the world. I 
it's it's one of my greatest joys. I, I think that we help ourselves by helping others. Yeah. And I've really embraced that idea. And, and sometimes I, I question, is this like residual stuff left over from being the oldest sibling, the, you know, so much responsibility at a young age. But when I think about it, that's what gives me so much joy. Like when somebody, when I see like those, you know, they have like on TV, be like struggling family, all these bad things are happening to them. And then we watch the progression as like something amazing happens and like they pull themselves out of that and there's so much transformation. I bawl my eyes out because I'm so excited. I'm like, oh my God, she got the house for the kids. Look at the kids' rooms. Oh, look, they got, the dog is here. Everybody's so, like, I feel so, I feel so into that. And and I think, um, I can't think of what the exact, uh, my Myers-Briggs thing is, but Mm, I- I was looking at it recently and it said, uh, my challenges are that I can be overly empathetic. And I was like, oh yeah, that's so true because I'll see things and I'd be like, oh, well, maybe we should not do that because like, it's going to have this negative impact. So there's, there's a huge element of that to, to my work is, is wanting to serve people sometimes to my detriment. So I kind of have to figure out how to balance that. But man, do I not just love when people get to tell me new good news and I get to cheer them on and be like, I think you can do this. Oh my gosh, let's do it. Like, seriously, let's, let's do it now. Isn't, oh, that's the best. I mean, to be a cheerleader for yourself and for others, especially is, is so rewarding. You're right. When they, when it all aligns or even when those tiny actions just start to align, it's so, so rewarding. I, what's the um, extreme home makeover that show or that, that with the family that really needed so much and they would swoop in and 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 in a matter of you know days it seemed like they would have they would have these things and 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 now social media you see these little stories and and it really it really it does make a difference and you're making a difference do you have any suggestions for um if people feel like okay i hear you i hear that tiny actions can be happening and probably are but just to start to see and acknowledge those for people for themselves how can they turn those tiny actions into possibility well the first thing is believing that it's even possible for you sometimes that's the hardest part is just believing that a person like you who did not grow up with a ton of resources financial or even like other things that what you see somebody else do is possible for you i think that Belief is like in two parts. So it's like what you can actually see. So I can see this thing so I can believe it happens, but also what your mind believes, like what your mind can see is possibility. Um, as, as you start to believe certain things and you see it happen for someone else and you believe that it can happen for you, that pushes back like this wall of belief. It mm. opens up possibility even more. And the more that you open up possibility, the more that you start to believe like, hey, this this could happen for me too. Uh, I think it probably would be, I would probably be in a very different place if I didn't go to conferences and like do all these things where I got to meet people and talk to people. Mm-hmm. Because when I see somebody say like, oh, I did this thing. And then I look and I say, well, hey, they did it. That means it's possible. Like somebody yeah. can do it. And if they did it and it's possible, I can do it too. It can be possible for me too. So the the belief part 
is, I think, the very first step. The next step is figuring out, starting with what you have and where you are in that moment. A lot of times, like you said earlier, like the social media comparison, when we are trying to think about trying to do things and we are only focused on what we don't have. So I don't have a million followers. Mm. I don't have a team to help me do this. There's not a solution there. Mm. But Mm -hmm. if you start from, okay, so what do I have? I have a camera phone and I have five friends. I have um, a cute area in my house that I can film video. You start to see solutions and you start to see possibility there when you start with what what resources you have available to you right now. So I think that's it's like a two-step thing, believing one that you can do it and then analyzing what do I have right now that I can leverage to get what I need. And then you start making a plan and you start taking those tiny steps. And just knowing that each tiny step that you check off your list, that's progress. Mm. You keep checking off, that's more progress. And eventually things start to shift. Every step that you take forward, a new path, a new door opens. But as long as you stay right here in this spot of, I don't have this, I can't do this, all those doors are closed. Yeah. And then you can acknowledge that there's fear, that there might be fear and move through that. And you move through that. It's amazing too, when things start to align, how the doors open. It really is magical. They do. You know you're on the right the right path. And I think my favorite thing, but this is it was very, very hard to lean into this as somebody who loves to plan, who loves to know what the next step is, who loves to know all the pieces, knowing that the how is not always your responsibility. Mm-hmm. I often have a plan for how I would like it to happen. Yeah. But being so attached to this is the only way that it can happen, that's limiting. I have now learned that my job is to keep showing up. My job is to keep moving forward. It's to keep taking the next step, to keep doing this thing, but releasing how it has to happen, Mm -hmm. giving the universe, God, whatever higher power, energy you believe in, giving them the reins to decide this is how it's going to show up but just knowing that my work is doing, I, you know, like, what is it? Faith without works is dead. So my, I have faith that it's going to happen. I have to do my work and then let it happen. Mm, you're speaking right to me. Thank you. Oh, that's so true. And I hope y'all are listening and taking this in because this is the wisdom that it's everyday wisdom, but sometimes We're just so close to it and we are sure there's a plan that we know what it is and we never do. It's just those steps that we take along the way. And, and if you do the work, the universe will be seeing you do it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I love this conversation. Thank you so much. Couple more things. I would love to have you let people know where they can find you. So if you want to know where you can find the planner, you can find um, my books Things that you can buy, taketinyaction.com is where you can find them. Also, that's technically the home of the podcast. So if you want to know about the podcast and listen to it, that's on taketinyaction.com. Uh, if you want to know about more about me and coaching and just randomness, 
Um, you can find that on moniquemalcolm.com. This is Malcolm. Don't forget that extra L at the end. People always forget that L right before that last M. Um, Monique Malcolm. And then if you want to find me on social media, I'm at Take Tiny Action on Instagram and TikTok. And then I am at Monique E. Malcolm on Instagram and TikTok. Awesome. Awesome. And the book? The book, Don't Let Fear Have All the Fun. So you can find that at TakeTinyAction.com. However, if you're international, it's available through like online retailers, which that's probably a better place for you to get it because shipping is expensive overseas. Yeah, it is. And we have lots of overseas listeners. We're in, last I checked, y'all, 101 countries listening to this podcast. awesome. It's pretty cool. So I always love to ask people, my guests, my lovely guests, who's inspiring you right now? Mm, other creatives or just people, period? Anybody. Oh, Issa Rae. Mm. Issa Rae. I just love all the work that she's doing. And uh, as a Black woman in Hollywood and film, she's just mm. owning that and just kind of showing up how she wants to and kind of doing her own thing. And I, I love that for her so much. Um other people who are inspiring me, uh, my friend Nashe Snow, she is, she works like a government high profile job, but she's like creating art and doing oh. creative work and, and crafts and things and like the fringes of her life. And I just mm. love how she manages like this really important job with like government clearance, but also it's like, hey, I'm learning how to do um, stained glass, like I love that. Art. <laughs> There's so, someone who's standing that. up for what she loves to do. Yeah. Yeah. And and finding ways to do a little bit of both, right? Like living her professional life and also her creative life at the same time. So I, I love talking with her. I love that. Anybody else we should know about? Um, another one. Uh, he's a he's a local friend. His name is Anthony. And he runs a t-shirt brand called Deli Fresh Threads. So he's like a throwback to my my past life as a, a t-shirt line owner. It is the most clever and well-branded t-shirt line because it's all about sandwiches. He loves sandwiches. He thinks sandwiches are the king of meals. And so he has all of these play on words and puns that are sandwich related that he turns into sandwiches and patches and pins and stickers. And I actually, he just released a, so his, uh, his mascot is Biggie Bread and he just did Red Lasso. So he's oh sending me gosh. a Ted Lasso themed red lasso sticker that oh. I cannot wait to get because when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, I need it. I need uh-huh. it like today. <laughs> that sounds so genius. I love somebody that just fully leans into the 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 love they have for something. That's it's so, so good. Oh, see, all these things are reminders of the fact that we just need to pay attention to what we love to do, take those steps to get further into it. Remember that it's a giant picture. It's just up to you to take the steps and the universe is watching. It is. So keep going and don't let fear have all the fun. That's right. Do not let fear have all the fun because it's there. It's there being like, give me more. (laughs) You can say no. Thank you so much for being here. I'm thrilled to be able to know you better. And there's lots more. I feel like we need to redo this in another six months or a year just to see where you're going next. Thank you for having me. Before you go, I just want to say a quick thanks for tuning in. I hope you found something useful to take away and something to make you think. 
For those of you listening in on Spotify, and I know there are many, you now have the cool option to show your love for Windowsill Chats quickly and easily. From the show page in the Spotify app, you can simply tap to rate it one to five stars. And of course, I'll really appreciate it too if you leave a review wherever you might be listening. See you next week, lovelies, and I hope it's a creative one.